Hey, friendly reminder, this podcast is not for kids or people who have a stick up their ass. Friday, 5.58 p.m. I'm sleeping with my best friend's husband. I think my uncle killed someone in I his think suicide. I am I a sugar baby. Mom addicted to Adderall. I think I my sister is my actually my uncle's kid. My What's your secret? Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Secret. My name is Ace Fanning, and I am back this week with part two of this story. Which means, if by chance you have found yourself here without listening to part one, you need to go back because absolutely none of this will make any sense. And before we get into part two, I'm just here to give you your friendly reminder that you should sign up for Patreon. It's $10 a month, and you get weekly episodes of Beyond the Secret. There's a sign-up link in the show notes if you would like to join the party. Okay, back to this story. This is honestly such a crazy story. And even though you've heard so much in part one, The craziest part is still to come. And like I said last week, this is a story that really got me emotional. And we'll talk about it all at the end of the episode. But if you want to share your thoughts, make sure to join the private Beyond the Secret Facebook group. There's also a link in the show notes for that. And I would love to hear what everyone else has to say about this. Okay, here we go. This week's secret, To Catch a Predator, Part 2. When he approached my front door... I opened it. The weirdest thing for me was that I was taller than him. I'm six foot tall. And when I opened the door and I saw that he, if I had to guess, is like five, six or five, seven, I was like, what the fuck? Like, he doesn't have control over me anymore. Like, I'm not a physical person, but like, if I needed to, I, I feel pretty good about this ratio. And that was weird. So I invite him in. We're starting having a chat. And I had a dog at the time. And this dog was going crazy. I mean, like, he is the most friendly dog you could ever meet in your entire life, but not to this person. I'm, I'm literally pulling him back, trying to prevent my dog from biting him. And I just think that's kind of interesting because my dog knew that this was not normal. So I put my dog, I drag him by his collar and I put him out back and I start chatting with this guy and we're recounting and we're thinking about everything that occurred when I was a child and he's sitting down at my kitchen table in the dining room and all of a sudden a bottle of lube falls out of his pocket and in that moment I thought, Oh shit, like 
I'm not prepared for this. I'm not, I, I'm not, this is too dangerous. Like, I don't want to be in this situation. And so I kind of freaked out and I said, Hey, my, I was in a relationship at the time. I said, Hey, my girlfriend just texted me at the time. I, I get, you got to go. Like you, you have to leave. And I ushered him out the door. Then I took the tape recorder. I smashed it with the hammer and I threw it in the trash, let my dog back in. And I said, I'm never doing this again. When he recounted the things that happened, did he talk about it as though it was something wrong or did he talk about it as like, wasn't that fun? Very much. Wasn't that fun. Don't you miss the old times? I imagine he was like, Hey, let's get the band back together. You know? So knowing that I, I thought that was weird. I still had shame around the gay component of it. I was still scared, but all that changed when I was on Facebook several years later. Before we get into that part of the story, I'm curious to know how up to this point, now that you are an adult and you're in college, you're in a relationship, what toll did the abuse that you went through as a child, did you see it showing up in your life and in your relationships at all? Not at the time. As I look back, I can totally attribute a lot of issues that I had to the abuse, you know, the rejection, this, the, that, you know, I can, I can definitely pinpoint certain areas of my life at that time where I was struggling based off of repercussions of the abuse. But in the moment, no, I felt like I was in control, like for a weird turn of events or in a weird turn of events, rather, I felt like now I'm the one in control. I know this motherfucker wronged me. Now I'm six foot tall and you're five, six, you piece of shit. What are you going to do? Now I'm the one with the tape recorder. Now I'm the one who is going to wrong you. You've wronged me for so many years. And actually I, I walked that back. I didn't wrong him, hold him accountable. No, I didn't feel bad at all. Fast forward a few years and what do you see on Facebook? Several years later, I am on Facebook and I notice that my mother has liked a post that this guy shared. And you know that if you're on Facebook and one of your mutual friends likes something, it will say so-and-so liked so-and-so's post. Well, that's what occurred here. And I thought, my God, of all people, like it's my mother who likes this guy's post. She has no idea. I never told her anything. She has no idea. So she has every right to like anything. But immediately I was like, oh, shit, if she only knew. And I haven't thought about this person in probably about five or six years until this moment. I click on the post that my mom liked of this guy. It lands me on his Facebook page. His Facebook page is covered with him and young children. Every picture. He doesn't have one picture of himself or of him with his family. They're all of him with children, young children, maybe less than five or six years old. It didn't take long to realize that he has not only maintained his presence in the forest organization, but he has 
increased his level of responsibility. So now he's even more of a leader than he was when I was in the group. And then I look at his job title and his job title says that he is a Manny. I don't know what that means. I've never heard of the term before, but a quick Google search let me know that Manny means male nanny. I tie all the loose ends together and I quickly realize that this person who molested me for several years of my childhood is now a live-in nanny for a family of two small children in Florida. What were you feeling in that moment? I felt rage. I was so angry. I'm an angry person as it is. But in that moment, I was mad. And I had been in therapy. I had started to talk about the abuse that occurred to me. And my therapist had encouraged me to go to the police with the understanding that it's very unlikely to receive any justice. It's very unlikely that they'll be able to prove anything. And so I said, fuck that noise. I'm not going to go through all this if you can't even prove it. When I was having these conversations with my therapist, it was all about me. Like, how is this going to impact me? And when I clicked on that Facebook page and I saw this motherfucker of pictures of him on a Southwest Airlines flight with a, with a two-year-old in his lap, I was enraged. And I said, you know what? It's no longer about me. It's not about me. It's about these two young children. It's also definitely about all the other young children that are under his leadership through the 4-H. But in this moment, as I see it now, these two children are in danger. And I was furious. With all that anger going through you, do you feel like there's something that you have to do? Of course. Because I know now. I don't know in my core that this person is abusing these two young children, but I know what he's capable of. While I don't have proof that, yes, these two children are being molested by their manny, I do know that their manny is capable of molesting them. And if I sit silent, if I sit on the sideline, if I turn my back, if I shut my eyes and pretend like I didn't see anything, aren't I just as guilty? So what do you do? So I messaged him on Facebook and I said, hey, it's been a minute. How are you doing? He responds immediately and he says, it's so amazing to hear from you. How are you doing? Small talk, like two friends were counting after 10 or 15 years of friendship. And I give him a very 30,000 foot view of where I am, what I'm doing, no specifics or anything like that. And he goes, it would be great to meet up with you again. And I'm in Arizona. And I thought that was surprising because he is a Manny for this family in Florida. So I was surprised to hear that he was in Arizona. And I said, oh, I'm a little bit busy this weekend. So I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to meet up with you this weekend. And he requests that I transition our conversation from Facebook to WhatsApp. So we moved the conversation from Facebook to WhatsApp. And at this point, I just said what I thought would be the most incriminating text message ever. I said, don't you remember the time that I was in your white truck 
and you drove me home from the county fair and then you parked on a street outside of my house and we performed oral sex after the 4-H county fair. His response said, of course I remember. It was the first time that you've ever come. How can I forget? And I threw my phone. I was so disgusted because not only had this person molested me at that time, but now it's been 15 years and he is still fantasizing about this. I threw my phone across the room and I just burst into tears and I thought, oh my God, this is so wrong. These children are in danger. He's still thinking about this in a sexual way, zero remorse, no repentance of his actions. In fact, he's proud. He's proud that, yeah, of course I remember that. That's the first time he ever came. Do you feel like that message was enough for you to take it to the police? Yes. In realizing that this person doesn't realize what he has done is wrong, I thought he not only was able, but likely abusing these children. So I had a good friend at the time who was a police officer and I called him and I said, listen, here's my situation. What am I supposed to do? This is 15 years, 16 years maybe even, after the abuse. What do I do? And he says, where did the abuse take place? And I said, it took place in Glendale, Arizona. He goes, okay, then you're going to contact the Glendale, Arizona Police Department. You're going to call them and you will tell them, I have a crime to report that occurred you know, 15 years ago, but I have reason and belief to believe that there are other individuals in harm's way. So I did that and I called the Glendale Police Department. I told them exactly what my friend told me to say. And within two hours, a police officer showed up at my door and he took a screen record of everything that I had been talking about with my abuser. So from Facebook to WhatsApp, whatever, he recorded everything. And he said, okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't want you to have any expectation of what might occur. Sexual abuse cases are challenging, especially ones that occurred 15, 20 years ago. You know, the only way that you can convict somebody is through DNA, photos, or admission to guilt. So it's very challenging to prove these cases, but you're doing the right thing. So the police officer comes, he records everything, and then he leaves. How are you feeling in this moment knowing that somebody other than your therapist now knows what you've been through? This officer was extremely compassionate, kind, and genuine. And I, I, I wish that I had his email address or contact because there's nothing more in life than I would love to send him a thank you. Thank you for making this as easy as it could have been. I remember 
requesting that my fiance at the time leave the room. I wasn't comfortable enough talking about the stuff that had occurred to me in front of my fiance, but this officer made it so comforting for me to speak to him. So I, I, I felt good. I felt like we were doing the right thing. How did things progress with the investigation after he left? The officer leaves and about three weeks later, I walk into my house. My ex and I were renting a house and I open the screen door and out falls a business card from a SVU special victims unit detective uh, Glendale officer. His business card falls out of the screen door and I was so angry. I was like, this motherfucker. I told him I want this to be as secret as possible. I haven't told my mother. I haven't told my anybody. Nobody knows about this. So you son of a bitch, how dare you just show up at my house? Here I go again, getting all pissed off and angry. This guy's just trying to help me. On the back of his card says, please call me. I call him and he says, listen, I want to schedule what we call a forensic interview. And I said, what the fuck is that? forensic interview. I'm busy. I had just gotten my first corporate sales job. I was, you know, fresh out of college, all this stuff. Now this motherfucker wants me to do a forensic interview. I said, okay, fine, whatever you say. So he schedules a forensic interview and I have to drive down to downtown Glendale, Arizona. Not sure if you've ever been there, but it's not the most desirable place to go. And I have to meet at the Glendale police station to sit in a chair and be interviewed by a forensic psychologist. Were there things that came up during that interview that you had either forgotten or just tried to forget from the abuse? Well, of course. And the, the first thing that pissed me off is this lady, she was kind, she was sweet obviously just doing her job, but she goes, okay, you mentioned that your abuser was performing oral sex on you in a white truck. Was it his left hand or his right hand that was on the back of your head? And I look at her and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Was it his left hand? I don't know. All I know is his uncircumcised dick was in my mouth. My left hand and my right hand. I got my therapist out in the lobby, I'm doped up on Xanax because I'm so stressed out. And they asked me all these intricate questions. And I'm like, how would I know 15 years ago, what hand was it his left hand or his right hand? So that's why I narrowed it down to literally three times. I said, listen, I was molested and abused for two and a half years, multiple, multiple times. I told you earlier, at least 50 to 100 times. There are three times where I can recount exactly what happened. Those are the only three times I'm going to speak to you about. I'm not going to talk to you about anything else. How did they react to that? They're very kind, right? Like they deal with people and victims every day who are not willing or forthcoming with their evidence or wanting to speak. And so she was like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. You know, she's trying to coddle me. But now I don't trust anybody. Because now I'm at the point in my life where I realize, like, oh, fuck, I was molested. My mother told me to lie. I don't trust a human. 
I don't trust, I don't even trust a fucking goat at this point. <laughs> you know, like I'm at war and the world is against me. So this woman who's sitting across from me in her big black leather chair and wearing a room and she has an earpiece in because detectives are communicating with her on what questions she should be asking me. And I look at her and I think about the detectives beside, uh, on the other side of the other wall. And I think, you motherfuckers, you're not here to help. You're out to get me. And to her credit, she was understanding. And when I got outlandish, she was responsive to that. She, she addressed my concerns and she understood my frustration. And she says, listen, I, I, I get it. You know, we just, in order to create the strongest case possible, we need to try and figure out every detail. I said, okay, fine. Because if this doesn't go to a immediate sentence or a plea agreement, like you're going to be asked these questions. We need to know what is the detail of these abuses. When you say that you thought that they were out to get you what do you mean by that initially i just thought like they were challenging me you know like they didn't believe me and why wouldn't you believe me does this sound fun does it seem to you a fun idea for me to take a tuesday afternoon and come down to the glendale arizona police department and sit in this fucking big couch and be interviewed by a site a forensic psychologist this is not fun for me. So if I'm not telling the truth, why the fuck would I do it? But they were doing their job. They were asking questions that were very frustrating to me at the time. But looking back, I'm like, okay, yeah, they had to do that because otherwise maybe the case would fall through. You know, and, and also we live in America. You can accuse anybody of everything or anything, but you have to be able to have evidence to follow it up. We didn't have any evidence. We just had my word. So what if this person was a stand-up citizen? Great person, never abused anybody. But I go down and I make all these accusations. They want to make sure that there is some form of validity behind everything I'm saying. And so that's why they're challenging me. But in that moment, oh my God, I was pissed. I was fucking furious. Did you believe that the case you guys were building was a strong one, or did you doubt that anything would happen? I believed it was very strong because I created my own investigation. I reached out to him. I recounted our own events. I knew that I wanted to have some leg to stand on before I went to the police. So the fact that when the officer showed up to my apartment, or excuse me, my house and recorded everything, he was recording an entire conversation of my abuser confessing, admitting, and looking forward to additional abuse. I felt good about it. In the conversation that you had with your abuser, he spoke about future abuse? He spoke about future encounters. And I don't know if you can call it abuse because at the time I was probably 23 or 20, I don't know. Point is, is I was over the age of 18. So I don't know if that's still considered abuse from a molestation standpoint. But yes, 
the conversations that I recounted with my abuser were exciting. He was happy. He was exhilarated at the fact that I would reach out to him again, at the fact that maybe we could rekindle. And in my mind, that said, you sick son of a bitch. I was 10 years old the first time you molested me. And now 16, 15, all these years later, you still want to do that stuff with me? You have zero remorse. You have zero understanding of what is wrong and what is right. After you did the forensic interview, what happened next? Well, they believed me. The detectives and the forensic psychologists believed me. So after that, we scheduled a phone call. They picked a day, they picked a time, and they coached me on what to say in a text message to this individual who was the Manny in Florida, and my former abuser. They said, text him this, text him that, say this. And so it looked like this. He would send me a text message. I would screenshot it. I would send it to the detective. The detective would then send me a response and say, this is what you need to say, or don't respond at all. After the forensic interview, after the navigating of the conversations of text messages with the, with the detective, they said, okay, it's time for a phone call. Because they said, we cannot prove that it is your abuser who is actually sending these text messages. We don't know, we're not present. And defense might say anybody who has access to this person's phone might be sending these text messages. So we have to get a verbal admission. And I said, okay, what does that look like? Come down next week, the detective tells me, you're going to call from your iPhone. You'll have a speaker in your ear. I'll have a speaker in my ear. I'm going to have a legal pad. I'm going to ask you, or excuse me, write down what questions I want you to ask. I'm going to navigate this conversation. And I said, okay. So after the forensic interview, after being told how to navigate these text message conversations, I show up maybe a week or two after. We walk into a conference room. It's the detective and me. And he says, okay, are you ready? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I called the number. He's got an airbud in his ear. I have an airbud in my ear. He's got his legal pad. Ring, 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 voicemail. We don't make any contact. And I was like, oh, fuck, shit. What do we do now? He goes, wait, wait, wait. Just take a deep breath. It's not a big deal. Let's wait. I get a text message from my abuser. And he says, give me five minutes. I'm just walking the kids into school. Hair on my arms are standing up because I'm thinking to myself, motherfucker, walking the kids into school. Okay. We wait five, six minutes. We call back. Detective is sitting right next to me, telling me what to say. First thing we say is, do you ever miss the encounters that we had together? He goes, no, I don't miss them. I think about them all the time. As 
the abuser is writing out, or excuse me, speaking out his response, the detective is writing out the next question he wants me to ask. And the question that he said was, did it ever make you nervous that I was so young? You knew I was so young, did, did that ever make you nervous? I read the question and I say to the defendant, did it ever make you nervous that I was so young or that my parents might find out? He goes, no, that was part of the excitement. Wasn't that fun? The secrecy, all of it? Detective writes down another question. Did you know that I was so young? So I look at it and it was a little bit challenging because we're having this conversation and the detective writing was slower than the conversation that was actually happening with the defendant. And I said to him, I said, did you know how young I was? Like, did that, was that a thing? And he goes, I knew, I knew, but you know, I knew you also wanted me. I knew it was fun. And at that point, the detective told me to end the call. He said, say, you got to go. So I told them that I was on a lunch break. My lunch break was ending and I have to go back inside. And I hung up the call. And as soon as we hung up, detective looked at me and we were sitting at the same table. He had all these notes and he raises two hands and he gives me a high five. And he goes, that couldn't have gone better if we planned it. Just hearing you say that, I feel like I'm getting emotional just listening to it. And so I am i can't help but feel like you were probably also feeling emotional in that moment. When the detective looks at me and says, that couldn't have gone better if we planned it, my heart sank. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because you'll remember if you've listened to this conversation that all I want is validation, approval, and somebody else to just believe me, right? And when the detective looks at me and says, it couldn't have gone better. I mean, I followed his direction, had nothing to do with me. Had everything to do with me with reaching out to the police department, but he was the one who told me what to ask what to say and at that point they took the indictment to a grand jury and the grand jury found that there was probable evidence that this person could have committed these crimes and so they were able to arrest him on a flight into town a couple months later and i i just didn't quite realize the severity, like this person is in jail right here, not even jail, excuse me, prison. Person's in prison for nine years. And I make jokes about it because that's how I cope. But the reality is like, this is a pretty big fucking deal. I know that I'm just like a random stranger from the internet. And I don't know why I feel so inclined to tell you this, but I think that like going through this whole process and like what you did was so brave because it like you had said earlier it wasn't about you and your abuse like you you i don't want to say that you couldn't do it but you weren't fighting for yourself because of what you had been through you were trying to protect other people from going through what you've been through and i think that all of this is so brave and having to open 
this secret up to these police officers, despite the fact that you've kept it in for so long, that's huge. And it's not easy for people to do what you did. I agree with you. And I appreciate that you acknowledge that. And as much as I identify as an asshole, as much as I identify as a narcissist, people piss me off every day. I'm unhappy more often than I am happy. I refuse that somebody might, and when I say somebody, a child specifically, might have to go through what I went through. Fuck that noise. And that was my, that was my turning moment. You know, my therapist for years, she said, you should really go to the police. I said, why? I didn't ask for this. I don't want to have to go through a legal process. I don't want to have to No. Why is it my responsibility to put this person in jail because they abused me? Fuck you. Fuck you. And I fired her. That's the kind of asshole I am. But then when I personally learned that, you know what, there are additional children at risk. No, not about me anymore. Okay. Sacrifice everything that you might have in front of you because I want nothing more than to prevent what happened to me as a child for somebody else. This is part of the reason I'm, I'm, I'm 28 years old. I don't want to have children because I'm terrified that their life could end up like mine. And that's terrible to say in itself because one could say, really? Okay, so some guy sucked you off, you got molested, whatever, but come on. Are you dodging bombs like the children in Iran? Are you having to run across the border as a immigrant from Southern America? And they're right. Maybe, maybe it's not as terrible as it seems, but the point is I don't want anybody to have to go through what I had to go through. Did he confess to what happened? So he was flying into Arizona from Florida, where he was a Manny. His flight track looked like this. Get on a flight in Ocala, Florida. Fly to LA, California. Get a transitional flight from LA to Phoenix. And it was a red eye. So he's flying in from LA to Phoenix. And there were three police precincts that were working on this case. One was the Phoenix police because it was in Phoenix, Arizona. One was the Glendale police because that is where the crime occurred. And then the other was the TSA at the airport. All three agencies worked together and they tracked down where he was coming from. And when the plane landed from Los Angeles in Phoenix, just after midnight, and I'm wide awake. I'm pacing around my room. The detective is sending me texts like saying, hey, check in with him. Where's he going? Whatever. The plane lands. They know exactly what seat he is in. And they march the plane. All three agencies march the plane. One fun fact is the Property Brothers from HGTV, they were on the front seat in first class. They thought they were getting a special escort out. Not quite. The detectives tell the property brothers, sit back down, and they walk back to the seat where my abuser was sitting. They tell him he's under arrest. They confiscate his bags. They march him off the plane. 
and he is brought down to the Glendale police precinct, at which point he is questioned. And they ask, did you know that this person was under a certain age? I believe the age they selected was 15. He says, yes. They said, do you know that that is illegal for you to have sexual contact with a person who is under the age 15? He says, yes. At which point they say to the defendant, would you like to write an apology letter to the victim in this case? He says, yes. He writes an apology letter. And I have read that letter. It is not inspiring. It is not decriminalizing by any means, if that's even a word. And at the end of the interview with the detective, my abuser says, okay, can I go now? Like, I think I've answered all the questions. And the detective says, no, 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 no. You cannot, you cannot go. Like, absolutely not. He was booked into jail and he was held on a $150,000 bond. It should be noted, the detective asked this abuser, should we be concerned about the welfare of the children that you're caring for in Florida? which is the main reason as to why I reached out. Anyway, I didn't know this, but apparently they were two young girls. So the, they were twins around four, five years old. The detective says to the defendant, do we need to be concerned about the welfare of the girls? And he goes, ew, they have vaginas. No, no, I, I, I would never touch them. That was sobering. Do you think that there are other boys out there who experienced something similar to you from him? After this person was arrested, put in jail in Arizona, there was a news article that was played on a couple of different media platforms. And in response to that news article, three additional potential victims came forth and said that they have their own story to tell. So to answer your question, I don't think, I know. I know that through the media presence of this story, other people came forth and said, yeah, something similar happened to me. Do you know if any of those other victims were going through it at the same time that you were from the 4-H club? I don't know their timelines. I don't know who they were. I don't know their names or anything like that. So it's, it's very much anonymous. However, it is my understanding that based off of me coming forward and this story being brought to light that other people from the same timeline, if you will, were given the opportunity to speak about things that might've happened to them. So I think they're all from the same uh, timeline. And m most importantly though, I'm happy that there's not going to be a future timeline. In five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, there's not going to be another kid that says, oh, yeah, I was a part of that guy's 4-H program. You know, like, I feel terrible, of course, for the people who may identify as victims and have gone through this. But all in all, I feel grateful to know that we stopped it. We, we, it's over. You know, he is in prison. There is not one more child who will be offended, molested, 
abused like from this guy because he's in prison. And if there is another child that is molested or abused by this guy, then so help me God, strike him dead. You know, we, we've done everything we can on our end, you know. What was his final sentence? He pled guilty to three counts of attempted sexual misconduct with a minor. And he is in prison serving his sentence of nine years with a life sentence of a child molester and life on probation. Do you feel like nine years is enough? You know, I don't know, Ace. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm all about second chances, rehabilitation. Okay, you made a wrong. Let's work through it. Go to rehab. Go to therapy. Figure it out. And also, I continue to think to myself, did this guy, like, was he abused? Did he know better? Did he know what he was doing was wrong? Any of us who get in a car behind a wheel and we've been drinking all day, you know that's wrong. Did this guy know that molesting children is wrong? I don't know. I hope so. I don't know. And, but the, the issue that I have is like me, like I'm on a crusade to prevent this from ever happening again. I was molested. I am on the record. I have gone everywhere to make sure that this does not happen again. Listen, there's a person in prison for nine years because of things I've said. Do you think I don't have anxiety about what happens to this person after he releases from prison? I, I'm concerned about my own safety, but my own safety does not supersede the safety of those children that I thought might be at harm. Do I think that nine years is enough? No, no, I don't. I think if you are a child predator, you should not be allowed back into the inner workings of society. I don't think that he deserves the right to walk amongst families. I don't think he deserves the right to enter into a mall. I don't think he deserves the right to ever leave prison. We make mistakes and that is true. But this is a person who molested children and then 15 years later fantasized about those same encounters of molesting children. This person is sick, this person is ill, and this person does not deserve the right to ever be among society again. But unfortunately, after nine years, and if he has good behavior, it could be reduced, he will have that opportunity. And I advise anybody who may come in contact with him to be aware, be fucking aware. This is a sick pervert. At what point in all of this did you open up and tell your mom about what happened? First, I told my grandmother, then I told my uncle, then I told my fiance at the time. And the only time that I decided to tell my mother was when I knew that the legal proceedings would potentially intervene with her. So 
I brought her over to my house. Our house is a better term with my fiance. And uh, I said, listen, there's some shit that's going on. You're going to be surprised, but I need you to be on my side. And that's when it all happened. And I didn't want to tell her because I was afraid that she might ruin the investigation or, you know, fuck up anything that we've been working on. How did she react when you told her? Hmm. She was the victim. And I don't want to get too far into this because we worked past this. And uh, I don't, I don't really care anymore. But at the initial unveil of this situation, she, it was hard for her. How could I have let this happen? How could my son have gone through this? How did I not know this was going on? And all that did for me was piss me off. Oh, this was hard for you? I'm so sorry it was hard for you as a mother of a child who was molested. That, that sounds really terrible. But fucking imagine how hard it was for me. You know, like, and we didn't speak for four years. Four years after. I know that that might not have been the easiest thing to share because you have gotten past it, but I think that giving your insight into her response is is actually really powerful for the people who don't realize that they could find themselves in her position and how much of an impact it can have on their child if that is their reaction. And I understand your mom is human and nobody knows how they're going to react in a situation, but I appreciate you for sharing that because it did. It, it, it had a very big impact on you and the relationship that the two of you had. It definitely had a re, uh, uh, impact on the relationship. And maybe I'm off guard here with telling people that they shouldn't reach out to their mother or father. But my experience, my experience alone is I reached out to my mother after I had already gone through the whole initial investigation. I'd already met with the detective. I'd already done the phone call. I'd already done everything. And then the detective said, hey, you should probably call your mom to let her know. And so I did. And at that point, she was just like, I can't believe I let this happen. This is so embarrassing. This is so hard. I'm so sorry. And I, I was like, I, I told you, I get pissed off at everything. And I think to myself, what the fuck? Yeah, yes, it was hard. Of course it was hard. You know what was hard? Sucking this guy's uncircumcised dick after a full event in downtown Phoenix. Like, that was hard. I'm so sorry that you're struggling right now. Like, that, it must be really hard for you. And I don't know. I, I, still, I still struggle with all of that. And I, I don't think that I would walk back anything that I've done. You know, like it, when I think to myself, could I have told my mom that, uh, hey, by the way, this guy's sending me weird dick pics. Uh, hey, by the way, this guy's touching me on my shoulder weirdly. Uh, hey, by the way, this guy just put his mouth around my dick. I don't know. I don't know, Ace. What impacts do you think that the abuse you went through 
have had on your life? That, that's a great question. And uh, I have wanted to kill myself. I have wanted to completely check out. I have wanted to disengage from every opportunity that was provided to me. Um, and it all tends to be related back to that whole rejection, confirmation, whatever. I have attempted suicide multiple times. And I guarantee that if I was not a person who was abused as a child, then I, I don't think that these thoughts would be top of mind. What, why would I want to die? I have a great life. As I look around, I have a great life. So why would I want to die? Why would I want to die? Because my fucking child was robbed from me. That's why. Because I'm angry. Because my fucking father doesn't, I don't know who my father is. That's why. Because of all these different things. Because a fucker molested me for three years. That's why. I'm angry. I'm very, very angry. And I think that that is definitely the lingering effect. I'm in danger. I'm constantly in danger. You look around and you think, okay, I don't see anybody shooting a gun. However, I know somebody in this room has a gun. They're about to shoot me. Who is it? And that stems back to me being molested because I didn't know I was being harmed. As a child in this youth program, I thought that this was positive. I didn't know I was in harm. Now when you learn that actually you were fucking being molested. So now it looks like this. I'm in danger and I don't know where it's coming from, but I know that one of you motherfuckers are about to cause me harm. I'm going to say this and I'm really, really worried about how it's going to come out. So I hope that it comes out right. But listening to you talk and getting to know your personality, do you ever have these moments where you say to yourself, no, like I'm just using that as an excuse. Like you're using your molestation as an excuse for your anger and for the things that are happening in your life. And I'm going to keep going because I, I realized that that didn't come out right. But what I worry about with you is that sometimes you view this as an excuse. So you don't allow yourself to realize that it's not an excuse. It's, it's actually the reason for why, like, because you're a little bit hardened because you say you're an asshole. Like I feel like I'm getting emotional because I feel like what I hear is like somebody who's just been fucking wronged in life. And I worry that maybe sometimes you're not as nice to yourself as you should be. I'm really sorry that I'm crying. <laughs> I appreciate that you're crying because it shows that somebody is allowed to have emotion here. You know what I mean? I just think that you view yourself in one way. And I almost feel like you've kind of put these walls up as a way to protect yourself. But what happened to you was very, very wrong. And listening to you talk about it, I know that you realize that. But I, I wonder if you always allow yourself to believe that or if you try to 
explain it away to yourself so that you maybe almost like you don't feel like you're a victim or that you're weak, which none of those things are true. But I worry about you because I feel like I could see you doing that. And maybe I'm wrong. Ace, I think that's a really great uh, observation. Like, I refuse to be viewed as a victim. I won't do it. I won't have it. I don't want sympathy. I don't want empathy. And I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. But at the end of the day, the reality is like, dude, you were molested. Like, it's not normal, you know? And yeah, I'm angry. I just think that people have a opportunity to fulfill their potential. And it just occurs to me that every single fucking person that I meet, like, oh, fuck, like, is this your potential? I hope this is not your potential because this is fucked, you know? And yeah, I, I have not found happiness. I have not found um, fulfillment. But I do know at the end of all this, people need to be held accountable. If I didn't say something about this predator, he could still be, he would still be causing havoc and, and issues for young children. So I won't do that. And I will, every single time and again, I will put somebody else's well-being before mine. And that's where I stand. I think that in this story, you are absolutely the hero. Like, I think that you doing everything that you had to do, you are the hero. You you did something so incredibly brave. But I also think that you went through something so incredibly difficult. And I feel like I just want you to know that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to allow yourself to break down. It's okay. Like you don't have to always be this strong person. And part of what I fear for you is that because no one was there for you in this time, that you may never let anyone be there for you. And I think that you deserve to have someone there for you. Well, Oh, Ace, I agree with you. I, I I continue to agree with you, but you know, I, I don't know. I I don't want to feel it. If I feel it, then I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the solution is. But you know, I tell this story. I write in blogs. I I I post on Instagram, and I get about twenty likes, which I'm pretty proud of, because there's a lot of people who have similar situations. But I don't know who's going to cure me. I, I don't. I don't find anybody who's going to cure me. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions. I'm sorry for what you went through, and I'm sorry that nobody was there for you during that time. And I'm sorry that you were asked to keep secrets. And I'm also really, really proud of you for putting yourself in danger that first time when you tried to record him i'm proud of you for reaching back out again when you saw that other people were in trouble i'm proud of you for calling the svu detective 
I'm proud of you for being brave and putting yourself out there. And if I had to guess, you don't tell yourself that you're proud of yourself very often. So I just feel like I would want to use this opportunity to tell you that. That's very kind. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm on a crusade to help others and uh, make sure that anybody has the resource available at their hand uh, to get what they need to have done, you know. Tell me about where you're at now in your life and where you want to keep going with your life. <laughs> um, so I've been to rehab. I have uh, had multiple different jobs. I've had a lot of different great things unfold for me. But currently, I live in LA. I have a awesome apartment by myself here. And my goal is to continue the conversation. I definitely, definitely struggle with maintenance of all the work that I've done, you know, uh, based off of the abuse and anything else that is attributed to that. I have totally uh, experienced alcohol abuse, uh, drug abuse, things of that nature. So really happy to be working on that. Um, but I'm not trying to kill myself. I'm not trying to off myself. I'm not trying to uh, check out, you know. So all in all, things are looking well. Sometimes I hate that I have my microphone turned off because you don't get to really hear my emotions during the episode. But also, I think it would be really fucking weird if I like turned my mic back on so that you could hear me crying. Like, ooh, this is a good moment. Let me turn it back on. <laughs> but honestly, I was pretty emotionally wrecked during that interview. This creep stole so much from this young boy and just completely ruined his innocence. And I think for me, getting to hear this story of how he was able to take back the power in this situation, <laughs> I hate myself, but I'm just proud, you know, like, there are so many stories out there like his that do not have this kind of ending. And it's not to even say that this story has a happy ending. I think that this guy was still once a boy who had his childhood ripped away from him. He was a boy who had to learn very quickly that bad people do actually exist and that they can be the people who are closest to you. He was not protected, his trust was broken, and he was forced to carry that burden all alone for so many years. And despite all of that, 
he has found the courage to put this creep behind bars. And there are a lot of people out there who don't get to have a moment like that. And my heart breaks for them because what has happened to them is not fair. And it is something that no one deserves to go through. You know, and and, and I think that when we get to hear a story like this one, we all just want to cheer for him. And I know that I probably go on for too long about how I want him to see himself for the way that I see him. And trust me, firsthand I know that, you know, you can't just make someone change their way of thinking. That easily, at least. But... It doesn't mean that us, the, the people on the outside, can't continue to remind those who can't see what we do that we are proud of them and that we see what an incredible human being they are. And so, because I know he's listening, I just want to say this. I hope you know just how incredible of a person you are. I hope you know that what you did was extremely courageous. I'm sorry for everything that you had to go through and I'm sorry that people weren't there for you when they needed to be. And I just want you to know that even if I'm just one person, which I know I'm not, but I know that I can only speak for myself. I'm very proud of you and everything that you've been through to get to where you're at right now. Thank you guys for listening. I will see all of you next time. Everybody has a secret.